You take Isaiah 53. Are we like sheep have gone astray? We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and his stripes were healed. Fiftieth of Isaiah, his face was marred more than any man's. I give my back to the smiters. I give my cheeks to those who plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame or spitting. If only the prophets write, he began to teach his disciples, Jesus here when he said it, that the Son of Man must suffer many things be rejected of the elders, of the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he spake that, saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. And when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And our conviction is that the word of God has never changed and never will. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary. We are now in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, as Dr. Mitchell takes us through this verse and showing us Jesus' program, that is, that Jesus was going to suffer. And Dr. Mitchell helps us see why the Savior must die and be raised again. He points out that the Lord Jesus shares with his disciples his upcoming death and resurrection. You know, Jesus always mentions his resurrection every time he speaks of his death, and to speak of his death apart from his resurrection would be a tragedy. Dr. Mitchell makes note of the fact that the Jewish nation thought there was two messiahs, one that would die and one that would reign. But as it turns out, there was one messiah, Jesus, who would both die and be raised again, and would later on reign in his kingdom. Well, here's Dr. Mitchell on the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast, Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Good day, friends. Again, we come to you, wherever you may be, in your home, in your car, wherever you are, to bring to you another portion of the Word of God. As most of you know, we are studying the gospel through Mark. We've already had Matthew, Luke, and John, and we are now in Mark chapter 8. And if I may repeat what I said in our last lesson, we're starting at verse, chapter 8, verse 27, and running through to the end of the book of, of Mark, we find where the Lord Jesus, has, um, there's a distinct change in his ministry. Up to this time, he has been, uh, for the most part, performing miracles, manifesting his authority over disease, over the forces of hell, over nature. And he's fed the hungry, he's raised the dead, and he's had some teaching with the people. 
But from here on is a change. In fact, there are only two more miracles in the book of Mark after chapter 8, verse 27. He turns now, having been really, having been despised and rejected by the leaders of Israel. Now he begins to instruct his disciples concerning his program, concerning what he's going to do. I want you to mark this because it's very, very important as you study your four Gospels. It's true in Matthew and Mark and Luke. Matthew 16, in Luke chapter 9, and here in Mark chapter 8, where the question of the person of Christ is brought up when he's way up in the north, north of Galilee at Caesarea Philippi. He asked about the question concerning what men are saying about him. You remember, and some say he's one or the other. But Peter said, Thou art the Christ of God. This is the answer by revelation, the revelation of his person, not a question of his works now, not a question of his power or his authority or his teaching. The main thing is his person. Who is this Jesus? And by the way, again, I say you must answer the question. What do you think? Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Your answer will determine your spiritual condition. In fact, your answer to the question may determine your eternal destiny. And then in verses 31 to 33, we have the announcement or the revelation of his program. The first time that the Savior announces to his disciples that he's going to suffer and die and be raised again from the dead. Now, you remember in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, between these two, between the revelation of his person and the revelation of his program, you have the revelation of his purpose, he's going to build a church. But how can he build a church with sinners? How can he bring, he, the holy righteous one, bring sinners into union with himself? So he's going to make the provision for that. Man cannot do that of himself. I wish this was blazoned abroad through the heavens so every individual could read, you cannot save yourself. You cannot fit yourself for the presence of God. When men say to me, Mitchell, I'll take my chance. Listen, friend, you don't have any chance. When you make a statement like that, you're manifesting ignorance of the character of God, which is righteous, and you're manifesting ignorance of your own sinful heart. How can a sinful heart ever come in the presence of a righteous God? The very holy law of God demands your death. The soul that sinneth it shall die. The wages of sin is death. How are you going to stand? So how is God going to do this? How is Jesus going to do this? Take up hell-deserving sinners and transform them so they can become members of his church and join to himself and stand before the living God acceptable. So let me read it again. And he began to teach them. Notice it. He began to teach them, that is, his disciples, not the multitude, not the multitude. He began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders, of the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he spake that, saying openly, and Peter took him, and began to rebuke him. And when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things 
that be of men. I would like to just stop here for a little while. The revelation of his program. Again, let me, let me bring up the issue. He's going to build a church made of, of men and women. But the men and women, young people, whoever it may be, those in the human family who are going to be in the church are already dead in trespasses and sins. As Job could say in Job 14.4, can you bring a clean thing out of an unclean, not a one? Jeremiah wrote, Jeremiah 13.23, he said, Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can the leopard change his spots? Neither can you that are accustomed to do evil do good. The psalmist could write in the 51st Psalm about verse 5, where he says, We were born in sin, shapen in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. How is God going to do this? He's not going to take holy angels and make them his church. He's going, to take, he's going to take sinners and transform them. But what about the sin question? How are you going to remove this barrier between man and God? The answer, in verse 31, he began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must, must, must suffer. You see, he must die in order for men to be saved. There's no other way. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be killed. He's going to be raised again from the dead. And notice the ones who are going to do it. He's going to be rejected of the elders. These are the ones who should lead the people, advise the people. He's going to be rejected by the chief priests. These are the ones who are supposed to represent the people to God. It's going to be rejected by the scribes, either the ones who wrote the Bible. He's to write the Bible, the script for the people. What are they going to do? They're going to kill them. Is that the end of it? No. After three days, we'll rise again. Now, three times our Lord announced this to his disciples. This is the first one. And he never speaks of his suffering and death without resurrection. I want you to get this in your heart. There's no other way into the presence of God. If there had been any other way, Jesus Christ need never to have died. It was because of the impossibility of man doing anything, anything. Morality, being religious, going through ceremonies, will never fit any person for the presence of God. You see, all through your Bible, you've had this given to us in type and in shadow. You take Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and his stripes were healed. 
You go on down to it. Take, take the 50 of Isaiah. His face was marred more than any man's. I give my back to the smiters. I give my cheeks to those who plucked off their hair. I hid not my face from shame or spitting. Of whom would the prophets write? You see, some of the Jews had two Christs, two Messiahs, one who came to die, one who came to reign. But Jesus here, when he said it, he said, I came to die, and I'm coming back to reign. The cross is a tragedy without resurrection. And there's no way possible, and I'm going to be very dogmatic about this, there is absolutely no other way into the presence of God except through Jesus Christ, who died for you and rose again. He's going to build a church. But the members of that church, those who are going to be members of the Church of Christ, joined to the Savior in life, in purpose, and so on, are dead in sins. So I say again, he relates his program. The Son of Man must suffer. He mustn't suffer just because of people who, are, who hate him. Oh, no. Oh, no. If I were to go to that, I'd point out in Matthew 26, he not only determined the time of his death, but he also determined how he would die. The Jews didn't do that. The Jews did not determine when he should die. The Jews didn't determine how he should die. He did that. He's in perfect control. Perfect control. His father had already planned it, and he's in subjection to the will of his father, complete obedience. He must suffer. He must die. He must be raised again from the dead. I say again, there is no other way. You see, friend, in the Bible, sin can only be put away by sacrifice. The law of God demands the death of every sinner. You say, but I'm doing the best I can. The law has no mercy. The law says the soul that sinneth it shall die. The law has no mercy. The wages of sin is death, and you can't go on strike, and you can't quit the job. The wages must be paid. Either you pay them or somebody else. The wages are going to be paid. Jesus Christ came for the express purpose of doing that very thing. The very first promise in your New Testament, Matthew 1, 21, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Let me, let me just give you a few scriptures, may I? In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. You say, Mr. Mitchell, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in sacrifice for sins. Well, whether you believe that or not, my friend, this is God's way, the way of the cross. He must suffer. He must suffer to perform his Father's will. He must suffer because of you and because of me. If there's going to be any redemption at all, he must do it. Who's going to put away your sins? Who can put away my sins? No man that I know of. Every man, as the prophet said, every man shall die for his own sins. 
Why did Jesus die? He had no sin. He had no sin. But you find that. Well, in John 8, 46, he said to his enemies, not to his friends, to his enemies, which one of you convicteth me of sin? You know what they said? You're demon-possessed. His friends wrote of him. He was tempted in all points as we are without sin. In 1 John 3, 5, it says, In him is no sin. 1 Peter 2 says he did no sin. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he knew no sin. Sinless. Why did he die? He took your place. He took my place. This is God's holy character can only be satisfied by the putting away of sin. And Christ came and he must suffer. He must die. And thank God he must be raised again from the dead. I'll start to give you some verses. May I do this? I said, Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The same chapter, Hebrews 9.26, he appeared once in the end of the age to put away his sin by the sacrifice of himself. In Hebrews 1.3, it says, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. In Hebrews 10, 12, this man by one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God. And when dear John the Baptist was introducing Jesus to the people of Israel, he said, and I quote John 1, 29, when he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Well, that verse which I quote a few moments ago in in 1 John 3, 5, he was manifested to take away our sin, and in him is no sin. Peter writes of it in chapter 2, 24, he bare our sins in his own body on the tree. In chapter 3, verse 18, where we read, he gave himself for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive by the Spirit. In Galatians 1, 4, he gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Or may I come back to Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And you notice he never speaks of his death without resurrection. I want you to mark this. If there's no resurrection, then we have no Savior. Listen to me. If there's no resurrection, by the way, Lest someone misunderstand me, when I speak of resurrection, I speak of the fact that he was raised from the dead with that body which was nailed to the cross. What died, his body died. What was raised, his body was raised. The very first message of Peter, this Jesus, whom you took by wicked hands and crucified, hath God raised up and exalted to be Lord and Christ. You ever think of it? 
First Peter 1 Peter 1.3 says, We've been begotten again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I tell you, my friend, let's be very clear about this. If there's no resurrection, we haven't anything. But let me tell you something else. Just as sure as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, just so sure am I that I will never again see my sins. You know, the psalmist says in the 103rd Psalm, verse 11, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Hebrews chapter 8 and chapter 10 says, Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more forever. How do you know that? How do you know that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ satisfied God? God raised him from the dead. Whether you like it or no, whether you believe it or no, my friend, God raised his son from the dead as a guarantee, a personal guarantee to you. But this Jesus, who must suffer, must die, must be raised again from the dead, God has given to you his personal proof that this Jesus is his son and that his work on the cross perfectly satisfied God in his character, in his holiness, in his righteousness, and so on. See, friend, people say, Mitchell, why are you so sure about it? I'm just as sure as the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground sinking sand. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It's enough that Jesus died, that he died for me. But how sure are you that this is so? God raised him from the dead. You remember Romans chapter 1? Paul says he was separate under the gospel of God. And he goes on to say what the gospel of God is. It's concerning a person who was a real man born of the seed of David. Also, he was marked out from everybody else as the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. I tell you, my friend, there's no other Savior. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He said, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Indeed, he said, if you believe on me, you'll have everlasting life, and you'll not come into judgment, but you pass from death to life. There's no other way. There's no other way. There's no other way. He must die. He must suffer. He must die. He must be raised again from the dead. And as Peter again says, who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead? That your faith, that your hope might be in God. Huh? Is he your savior? Christian friend, you have no assurance. You have no assurance. That's because you've never seen the completeness of Christ's work at the cross. 
How do you know it satisfied God? God raised him from the dead. And if God is perfectly satisfied with the work of Jesus Christ, shouldn't you and I be satisfied with it? That's all. Guaranteed by the resurrection from the dead. Oh, listen, friend. Why don't you put your trust in the Savior? And you, believer, why don't you have perfect rest and peace? He's a real Savior guaranteed to us by resurrection. As Romans 4.25 says, He was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised again because of our justification. May the Lord grant you that joy and that peace today for His precious name's sake. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to the Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon 97338. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Radio Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.